Welcome to the Grazing Grass Podcast, episode 20, where we have Josh Ayers of Ayers Valley Farm. Try to develop a premium outlet for your products, whether it's meat sales or breeding stock, etc. Try to create a brand for yourself and control your outgoing prices. You're listening to the Grazing Grass Podcast, helping grass farmers learn from grass farmers. On today's episode, we have Josh Ayers of Ayers Valley Farm, and we're going to discuss his beef cattle, hogs, and pastured poultry. Talk about his journey to get to where he is now, as well as introducing a new section on the podcast. Josh was a good sport and was the first to do the overgrazing section. Now, we did have one episode released already that had that section in it, but Josh was the first one I recorded with it. The overgrazing section is just a short segment in our podcast where we take a deep dive into one of the practices of our guest. So we talk about their journey. We talk about what's going on to on their farm. But this is a chance to go deeper. Maybe find out some specific things they're doing. So on today's deep dive, or today's overgrazing section, we are talking about so we are talking about his solar charger. I'd love to know your thoughts on it. And in addition to the overgrazing section, um, what else could we do that would be beneficial to you? You can drop me a line at cal at grazinggrass.com. Or you can leave a comment under uh, one of our posts or go to the website and send me a message. Josh, we want to welcome you to the Grazing Grass Podcast. We're excited you're here. I appreciate you all having me, and I'm excited to be here as well. Very good. Josh, can you tell us a little bit about yourself and your operation? Yes. um, I was born and raised here in uh, southern Ohio. Um, my wife and I have a uh, grazing, uh, which is basically a pasture operation. Um, we specialize in grass-fed beef, uh, pasture-raised pork, and pasture-raised chicken. Um, we ship our meats all over the United States, and we've been in business since 2017. At In 2017, did you start with all three of those species? No, we did not. We started out with beef. Um, that has definitely been the longest learning curve of everything for us. Um, getting used to the daily rotations and learning how to size paddocks and setting up the proper infrastructure to make all of that efficient took us a little bit. Oh, yes. Did you have prior beef experience when you started in 2017? Yes. Yes, um, I grew up on a, uh, basically a cow-calf farm. Uh, I would consider it conventional. Um, When I say conventional, uh, just one pasture year-round with feedlot feeding round bales in the wintertime um, and then spreading the fertilizer on the hay fields in the early spring. Um, See, I've I've known that all all prior to uh, to this, so um, oh yes, 
basically from yeah little little guy on <laughs> yes i understand that so what made you want to change and go this other route um ultimately i started digging into a way to turn a farm like this um into a profit center um, oh yes that's actually how we originally started down that path um, that led me into a lot of the regenerative practices more from the overhead perspective than anything else um, as far as benefits and cost um, but then i quickly realized the benefits that they have on the land um, and after that, our journey actually turned into more of one that was based on health for the body, um, based on the meat that you produce from the land by using regenerative methods. Did you do that transition from conventional to more regenerative practices whole hog? Or did you start building in um, small practices and expand it? Um, I would actually say the transition was done... Um, through a series of learning curves, um, we started out with conventional Ang Angus commercial cattle. Yes. Um, quickly realized that they were too heavy um, to really be grazed year-round on a sod-based farm. Um, you ended up with a lot of pugging and stuff during the wet times in the winter here in southern Ohio. That led us to a south pole transition so we transitioned to south pole cattle which is more of a moderate framed easy fleshing cattle designed more to flesh off of um, kentucky 31 or red clover um, just whatever diverse forage that mother nature produces so the uh from after we we got used to the south pole uh, and when i say got used to i mean um once our infrastructure caught up with the breed as well. Um, so this is, I guess it's tough for me, Cal here talking about this because it's, it was a series of several steps. Um, you know, the finding the right cattle breed, um, developing the proper infrastructure. And let's say the proper infrastructure, um, we converted from, uh, having woven wire perimeter fences, um, to primarily electric, um, with electric internal fences. So we basically developed an easy way to divide the farm up into equally sized paddocks and really see your daily moves and start to efficiently um, use the grass that's available. Um, that was all happening while we were converting the herd to South Pole, um, learning how to properly size and leave residue for the paddocks. Uh, there were just so many different things that went on at the same time. It's actually kind of hard for me to explain. Oh, yes. What led you to South Pole? We actually had an intermediate step. Um, we went to low-line Angus after oh, the yes. commercial Angus, um, but realized that the frame size was really too small um, okay. for what we were after. We were wanting cuts that resembled a little more like what you see in the grocery store from the resale perspective. Not only that, we wanted to have a secondary sales avenue 
of being able to still go to the conventional stockyards if we wanted to, um, where a low-line animal, you would be docked significantly for something of that frame size there. So that led us to the South Pole breed, um, which thinking back on it now, I don't know if we learned that through Greg Judy um, and my research stumbling across him as a mentor or if that's something we stumbled across uh, through the internet itself, but I think they came pretty close to hand in hand. Yes, Greg Judy's a pretty um, strong supporter of the South Pole breed. And you are in southern Ohio. The South Pole, you know, they they bred that composite or breed in Alabama, southern U.S. How do they handle your winners in Ohio? Uh, very well. Um, so South Pole is a quarter Barzona, a quarter Santa Pole, a quarter Hereford, and a quarter Red Angus. So you do have two um, what I would consider northeastern or new england style yes. breeds of cattle the angus and the hereford in that mix um they handle it extremely well and actually um i've talked to greg about this in the past uh, but he's he's had several folks um that are even a good bit further north than he is in kansas city that use these cattle and and actually he gets uh, much harsher winners than we do and oh yes zero issues Oh, well, very good. Very good. Um, just a little bit. Tell us a little bit about your climate there in southern Ohio. Um, okay. Um, so typically summertime, it's usually very humid. Um, you know, your 80s to low 90s, we very seldom get into the high 90s, uh, but it's just extremely humid. We live in the Ohio Valley, um, and it actually, the Ohio River Valley, I should say, but it actually traps a lot of humidity. So um, oh, okay. I would consider it something very similar to being like in Florida. <laughs> oh, <laughs> yes, yes. Um, yeah. Um, we have a moderate rainfall. Um, so on a good year, you know, we're, we're getting 40 to 60 inches of rain a year. Okay. Um, Fall and spring are both pretty mild. Uh, typically, they can be dry or wet, but, you know, it's just a transition over to winter. Um, and then winter, of course, is uh, we have some cold spells down below 20, but typically um, that doesn't last for more than a week or two. Um, and typically the precipitation during the winter is frequent, and it usually is wet and muddy. Uh, we don't really oh, yes. freeze that often and stay frozen for freeze for very long so pugging is an issue that we have to manage for um our growing season i guess that's something i should have specified is actually fairly long here in ohio um, we're still below that i-70 line um, so you can actually graze most of the winter if you manage your forage well um, oh yes you don't have the harsh freezes and and that kind of stuff so um, we're typically starting to rotate cattle on a good spring beginning of um, March. And then we'll actually rotate clear up to middle to the beginning of December and then convert to strip grazing and hay supplementation after that until March again. Oh, yes. So you're able to stockpile enough fescue to, 
to make that time period. Correct. And like I said, we do supplement with round bales as well. So we use that right. as a, uh, we use that as also as a fertilizer program. Oh yes. And I've said it on, um, other episodes, but you know, stockpiling variable like this year, I didn't do very good with stockpiling at all. So, uh, my cattle fed a lot more hay this year than I planned. But may, I plan on doing better next year. So, you know, it's one of those ebb and flow things. Yeah, right. And it, so much depends on what happens to the year and how much rain you get. Um, there's a lot of things that go into that as well. So uh, it's it's definitely a, a tough thing, and it's something you got to really watch your stocking rate with too as well. And it's we haven't been doing that long, so we're learning more and more as we go. <laughs> Well, I've been trying to run cattle for a long time, and I'm still learning, so you'll have plenty more lessons. Oh, I'm sure, I'm sure. <laughs> How long have you been running cattle, Cal? Uh, like like you said, I, I grew up with cattle. Um, I actually, we dairied mm-hmm. and then had some beef cattle. Um, okay. And, and um, so, well, one of my earliest memories is a um, Angus cow putting me back in the truck when I got out to check her calf and I'm thinking I'm five <laughs> and um, she oh, probably wow. just shook her head at me but I can remember that and since then and I apologize to all the Angus breeders I do not like Angus because of that it was and we bought this <laughs> my dad had bought this herd off a gentleman that was retiring and the cow's number was baby doll four and I can remember that well, almost like his yesterday, and and I I have red cattle now. You know, I just stay away from anything that resembles a little Angus, and 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 I know that's that's just that's a a pretty flimsy platform to decide I dislike Angus, but there I am. <laughs> yeah. Hey. Yep. And then on the the rotational part, um, we. We dairied, we rotated our dairy cows some, but it wasn't until I discovered Greg Judy and really figured out electric fences that we did very much. Because the electric fences we had in the late 80s and early 90s we were using, they seemed to be more trouble than than they were worth. We were trying to do some poly wire and um, I just, it was just a lack of knowledge on my part. I didn't have my energizers grounded good enough as I look back because we just thought, well, this will work. And we'd run into issues. So, and with dairy cows, it's usually not too bad because they're so tame. They're, they just kind of, they're willing to do what you want. But with beef cows, it's really difficult for us. Um, so discovering Greg Judy and finding out more information there on the energizer and stuff really changed what I've been doing in the last 10 years. Now when you, so you started this transition and you worked towards South Pole and you started changing out your electric fence or changing out your fences to to more. Tell us about what fencing you have in place now. Primarily on our home farm, um, it's five strand high tensile with uh, fiberglass line posts. Uh, we use the inch and a quarter re-rod um, or sucker rod is what they call it as well, but it's the uh, recycled fiberglass rod um, for the line posts. And then 
we still use cut corner posts. And when I say cut corner posts, um, I'm talking black locust um, or Osage orange or hedge for corners. Oh, yes. Yeah, we, we have a little bit of hedge apple around here. Well, they make excellent posts. They will be around forever. If you, they do. Especially if you get one of a, different, a decent size. We have a hedge post in the ground that my grandpa purchased a place in 1950 or around then. I really need to find out the exact year. That post was in the ground there. And then um, my parents built a house in the area. We pulled up the post and we actually put it in the ground on my parents' place and it's still there and we're talking at least 70 years that I can account for. Wow. Yeah. And that says a lot, doesn't it? <laughs> it, it does. It does. So on your electric fences, um, you've got your hedge corners or black locusts. you got five um, wires of high tensile. Correct. Um, that's our perimeter so okay we will hook our we will hook our reels our poly braid reels um on the perimeter um and run to our center main dividing portion of our farm so we have one main wire that runs down the middle of our farm and it actually divides the farm into two approximately 350 foot wide long fields Oh, okay. So then that's how we segment into approximate size paddocks on our our farm. Um, and that's how the whole farm is structured. So there's one main energizer that feeds the farm. It's a, uh, a Staffix brand charger. It's a main. Um, it's plugged into 110 volts. Oh, yes. It's grounded with 10 rods, 10 oh, rods, uh, half-inch diameter, uh, yep, around around the perimeter of a barn that has eaves that drip onto those rods. <laughs> oh, very so we, good. We tried to, to make sure that we didn't have any issues there. We do have a lot of ledge rock and stuff. So, But that's basically the essence of our farm here. Um, everything aside from those permanent, like I said, the permanent perimeter with the permanent dividing single wire 12 and a half gauge high tensile wire. Everything else is done with um, poly wire reels for divisions and O'Brien step-in posts. Oh, yes. Do you have water lines ran or are you watering out of ponds or how are you doing your watering? So on our farm, we actually have a pond and above ground water lines. Oh, okay. Um, the pond has a tire tank that, that's off of it. That's our wintertime water. And then for the summer, spring, summer, and fall, we have a uh, public water line that's above ground, it's inch in diameter, um, that runs roughly 2,100 feet from the source to the back of the farm, and it splits the farm right down the middle underneath of that single wire that divides the farm. Oh, okay. So we use Plassen quick couplers with uh, mobile water tanks and a Job Megaflow valve move that every approximately 200 feet as the cows rotate around the farm. Very good. Yes, that, that makes watering much easier for you, trying to get them back to a yes. pond during the, the growing season. It's the beauty of that as well is your cows aren't walking. They don't have to walk that far to get 
water, right? Oh, so right. able to keep as much gain as possible on these animals. Right, very good. Now you mentioned that's what you have on your farm. Are you grazing some other land? Yes, we are. Um, we graze a leased farm as well. It's roughly three times the size of our farm. Uh, all of the infrastructure on this farm was previously established. So it, it already has high tensile wire or you doing it all with polybraid? No, it, it already has um, basically permanent woven wire perimeter. Okay. There's no, there's no electric on this farm at all. Um, and it uh, already has pre-established watering points. Oh, okay. Um, we did try to expand that a little bit, but uh, primarily city water points with like Ritchie waterers or ponds. Oh, okay. Well, very nice to get a, a lease place that's got wa nice water throughout. It is, and it's uh, it's within walking distance of our farm. Oh, very too, nice. So we can walk the cows right to, down the road and onto that farm. Yes. Yes, that works out really well. And we also added um, basically a gravity-fed siphon water line over uh, one of the pond dams on this farm that actually runs uh, almost 2,500 feet um, that takes advantage of a extreme elevation drop from where the pond is at to the bottom fields that we graze. Oh, very nice. So it, you just have it siphoning, siphoning, you don't have a pump on it. Correct. Correct. So it is a, uh, a one inch water line um, that has a, a pickup that's literally set into the deepest part of the pond. Um, you want the pickup to be roughly 18 inches below the surface of the water. Um, and from there, it's it simply runs over the pond bank uh, and then down the pond dam, um, down through a very large valley and across the front of our pasture, um, like I said, almost 2,500 feet to the very end of where we're at. So it actually adds um, almost nine watering points uh, and it's all oh, very gravity good. fed from that pond. It's roughly a hundred foot elevation drop. Oh, wow. Well, that works out really good for you. Yes, it's uh, very low energy. Um, putting it in was pretty easy and it's also something that can be removed later if needed very easily as well. In addition to your beef cattle, you also have other livestock, correct? Correct. We, uh, we also have um, pastured pork or what they call forest, what we also call forest raised pork, and then we also have pastured poultry. So uh, let's talk about your, your hogs for just a little bit. Are you just growing out hogs or do you have sows as well, a breeding operation as well? Uh, we do not do any breeding. We purchase everything um, at the feeder level. So they basically come onto the farm anywhere from 50 to 80 pounds roughly when we get them in the spring, early spring. Oh, okay. And do you rotate them through your farm as well? We do. Um, they stay more in the wooded areas, um, but they're rotated very in a very similar manner to what our cattle are, uh, using temporary um, poly wire and step-in posts as well. How long do you uh, graze them before they hit market weight? Um, we have them on the farm roughly 24 to 26 weeks. Oh, okay. It's crossed my mind to try a few hogs. 
it's uh it's this was our first year for it um so we learned a ton uh but it is is definitely different uh, one thing that we were scared about uh starting out was you have to train the the hogs to electric fence um oh yes and then the the thought was you know you're going to have 15 or 20 hogs with just a a strand of poly wire two between them and running free. <laughs> right. Yes. We, uh, we, we learned a lot. Uh, the training pen was definitely an experience. Um, and when I say training pen cow, um, it's simply uh, a series of metal hog panels, um, in a square in our case, uh, it was a 32 by 32 hog panel pen with uh, T posts. Okay. And then we use the step in O'Brien's post with the poly wire on the inside of that to teach the young hogs that when you get zapped, you need to make sure you back up instead of running forward through the poly wire. Oh, yes. How long did you leave them in that pen to get used to the poly wire? We left them in for four weeks. Um, like I said, this was our first year doing that. Realistically, two to three weeks is probably all that's necessary. Right. Um, but you know, everybody's going to have to get comfortable with that before you <laughs> let them lose. So you can kind of watch them and see what you think as well. <laughs> right. I, I agree. I'd rather keep them in there too long than chase hogs. Yes. Yes. And you also have pastor poultry. How long have you done pastor po poultry? This was our first year for pasture poultry as well. Oh yes. And what kind of tractors did you build for that? So we actually used, um, a Darby Simpson version. I'm not sure if you're familiar with Darby Simpson. Oh yes, version, but uh, that's the version that we used. Um, roughly a ten by twelve um, hog panel constructed wood framed uh, hoop style coop. Very good. Now, how did it go with the chickens this year? Uh, very good. We ended up raising roughly eleven 1 hundred, actually twelve hundred. Um, broilers and then we do have egg layers as well but uh, the broilers were new to us this year um, we were uh, amazed at how much feed they can consume in a short amount of time and how fast they can grow oh yes <laughs> what breed did you use for your broilers Cornish cross oh okay and did you um, direct market all your poultry and all your um, pork as well Correct. Yes. We direct market everything. Um, primarily, we tell our story through Facebook and Instagram, but we have an e-commerce website as well um, through Shopify. Oh, yes. That's where we actually sell from. Oh, okay. Now, this coming year, what's your plans for 2021? Ultimately, we're wanting to double our beef volume. Um we have some additional capacity with the lease farm that we acquired last year. So we're just working to max it out for the beef. Um, and then as far as chicken and pork, we're going to scale up just a little bit, but not much, maybe 10 to 15% roughly on both of those items. Oh, yes. Very good. Now, Josh, we've came to the portion of our show where we're trying out a new section called the overgrazing section. It's a deep dive into one of your practices. Um, what are we going to take a deep dive into today, Josh? Uh, we're going to dive into the use of a solar fence charger on our lease farm. So your solar fence charger, 
Tell us what kind of equipment you have with that. It is a Staphix X3 Finch Charger. It's on a fancy little rig. Um, when I say little rig, it's just a metal framework, but the Fence charger is fastened on the back. The solar panel is mounted on the top, and then the base there is a um, 100 amp hour deep cycle marine battery. All of this is controlled with a voltage controller that regulates the voltage from the solar panel uh, to the battery, and then of course out of the um, fence charger. Now, did you put the parts together, or did you buy a kit to do this? No, I actually bought a kit. We bought this through AmericanGrazingLands.com, and then uh, the battery was purchased through Amazon. Oh yes, was it easy to put together and get going? Oh yeah, yeah, it was. It was cake. Um, it took yeah. me roughly maybe thirty minutes or so to put it together, um, and then it's been working great ever since. We used it all year last year, and it's actually out in the pasture right now, going through the winter. And it's it's on a dolly, so you can move that. Correct. Yeah, um, it's it's fairly heavy with the battery, but it does have two wheels on it, uh, and then a handle that you can slide back and forth. But you can wheel it around and do whatever you need to. And it's pretty easy to pick up. It's just kind of awkward as far as getting the right position at times. Oh yes. So you you have that on your lease land? Are you do you have it pretty well stationary, or are you moving it with your paddock moves? Uh, we move it for the most part with our paddock moves, um, but we do try to set it up in a way to where we don't have to move it every single day, um, like once a week. <laughs> right, I understand that. Yeah, yeah. Yes. So we, we'll put a little forethought into creating like a line, a poly wire, something that we can string our paddocks off of and hook the fence charger to that. Oh, yes. Now, are you putting ground rods in? Yes, uh, we use um, four 5.8 T-handled ground rods. Um, typically, depending on the time of the year, I can use my body weight to press them in. They're very sharp, um, but I do have a rubber mallet that I'll use from time to time to, to, to knock them in as well. Oh, yes. And how long are those um, ground rods? Uh, I believe they are 48 inches long. Oh, okay. So four foot, and they have a T handle on them. And a, correct. Um, if you go to your Instagram page, you've got a video there of it as well, I believe. Yes. What kind of um, voltage do you have on your poly braid from that charger? Uh, it actually, through the uh, winter right now, it's carrying almost ten thousand volts. Oh, very good. Uh, but very you know, good. there's little to no load at all on the wire um, during heavy vegetation period so late spring early summer when everything's its tallest and we're really doing a lot of trampling of the, the forage um, it'll get pulled down to around seven and a half to eight thousand volts on a heavy dew in the morning oh okay very good if you were to get another lease property to use and you were running another bunch would you buy this again or would you modify it in any way for another place uh, yes, I would buy it again. Um, I mean, if we haven't maxed it out for what we're doing um, on this particular farm. Uh, it'll run. Uh, we've had almost two miles of poly wire running off of it on a heavy spring morning. Oh, yes. Era. Yeah, and, and haven't had any voltage issues. So um, I would, wouldn't think twice about buying it again. Oh, very good. That's always been 
you know, somewhat of a question I get from people. Uh, just when you go to lease land, how are you going to run that electric fence? And I, I actually have on on lease land right now. I have a little tiny charger that's a Gallagher that I bought in a panic because my main energizer went down and it's at the repair shop. But I purchased a, I think a six joule one that I'm going to put on a solar panel. Do kind of what you're doing, mm -hmm. except it'll be a little bit more homemade and not as fancy. Well, uh, we were we were in a crunch for time as well, so um, I did what we we had to do. I wish I could have built it myself. Um, so enjoy the process when you do that. It it is fun uh, to spec all of that stuff out and put it together. Um, my wife told me to buy the kit, and I didn't <laughs> listen. So if I run into any issues, I'm gonna be in trouble. Well, you, if you <laughs> if you need any help, just holler at me. I can try to help you. All right, Josh, I appreciate that. Well, that was our, our first overgrazing section. I hope you enjoyed it. It's, it's something new we're going to try. Just take that deep dive into a practice. We'll see how it goes. In the comments or review, get on the grazinggrass.com website. Leave us a comment about it. And is it something we should continue or say, well, Cal, you fell out of the rocker? And we'll go ahead and move from there to our famous four questions. Our famous four questions are the same four questions we ask of all of our guests. I stole the idea blatantly from the Bigger Pockets podcast. I just modified them for our use. So, Josh, our first question of our famous four What's your favorite grazing grass related book or resource? That has got to be Comeback Farms by Greg Judy. That's kind of one of the books that started us down this path back in 2017. And uh, it's got a ton of valuable information on it for, for anybody at any stage. Very good. That's um, Comeback Farms is definitely high on my list too. Um, for me, Greg Judy challenged a lot of um, things we were doing. And I'm like, why didn't I think of this? So I'm glad he wrote those books. I appreciate it. What tool could you not live without on your farm? From the day-to-day -day perspective, uh, for us, it is definitely our UTV. Um, as far as saving us steps, um, we use that as our go-kart, so we cover a lot of ground. Oh, yes. And uh, it carries all of our all of our posts, our, our bucket of uh, spare items, so we don't have to run a couple miles back to the farm at times to get, you know, one electric fence handle or a quick coupler for one of the plastic oh, yes. valves that might have cracked, um, that kind of stuff. And without it, I, I think uh, it would make our jobs a lot, a lot tougher. Oh, yes. Yes. What advice would you give to a beginning grass farmer? I would say the first thing would be to be scrappy. Um, what I say that what I mean by that is only buy what you have to and make sure what you do have to buy will last you. I think that's very key beginning, starting out. After that, I would say lease or rent large cost items that don't get used frequently enough to justify a purchase. Last thing would be try to develop a premium outlet for your products, whether it's meat sales or breeding stock, etc. Try to create a brand for yourself and control your outgoing prices. 
All excellent advice. I'm working on part of that. They're they're all very tough, and they they all are something that I think everybody has to continuously work on and uh, and press against. Yes, yes. Josh, where can others find out more about you? Um, we have uh, two different social media sites, um, Instagram and Facebook. Um, the handle is at Ayers Valley Farm, and then our website is AyersValleyFarm.com. All right, we will put links to those in our show notes. So um, go visit him. Check out their social media and website. Josh, we really appreciate you coming on to the Grazing Grass Podcast and sharing your journey with us. Well, thank you for having me. I hope you've enjoyed this conversation with Josh as much as I have. Let us know in the comments your thoughts on the overgrazing section and if that should be a permanent addition to our podcast. And like always, I encourage you to subscribe, comment, share, review. Just a quick reminder, the books mentioned in the podcast as well as other items mentioned in the podcast are included in our show notes available at grazinggrass.com. If you want to purchase something using one of our links, we get a little bit back from it, but it doesn't cost you anything, and we appreciate the support. You're listening to the Grazing Grass Podcast, helping grass farmers learn from grass farmers. Keep on grazing. I really hope you enjoyed today's conversation. I know I did. Thank you for listening, and if you found something useful, please share it. Share it on your social media. Tell your friends. Get the word out about the podcast. Helps us grow. If you happen to be a grass farmer and you'd like to share about your journey, go to grazinggrass.com and click on Be Our Guest. Fill out the form and I'll be in touch. We appreciate your support by sharing our episodes and telling your friends about it. You can also support our show by buying our merch. We get a little bit back from that. Another way to support the show is by becoming a Grazing Grass Insider. Grazing Grass Insiders enjoy bonus content, monthly Zooms, and discounts. You can visit the website, grazinggrass.com, click on support, and they'll have the links there. Also, if you haven't left us a review, please do. It really helps us as people are searching for podcasts. And I was just checking them. And we do not have very many reviews for 2024. So if you haven't left us a review, please do. Until next time, keep on grazing grass.